0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. I've known today's guest for over a decade, and I've been impressed with his professionalism, his storytelling, and just his personal nature of being willing and and interested in sharing storytelling uh, secrets with with the next generation of, of storytellers and with his own. He's taught at a college level, taught storytelling classes. He has a unique background, a master's degree in storytelling and has won numerous awards for storytelling, as well as appearing at events across the country. He's also an award-winning championship liar, and uh, maybe he'll tell us a little bit more about that. But uh, he also consults with many businesses on storytelling and communication. Tony Marr is his name. And Tony, first of all, thanks uh, for coming back. It's great to have you on the show again. Honored to be with you, Stephen. Hope that you're doing well. Doing good, and so um, we've actually worked together on some events over the last few years. I've always enjoyed that. You, um, you have uh, a real personal way of telling stories that kind of invites, you know, um, listeners in. And um, was for you? Have you sort of worked on a new style over the years, or has it just kind of become? uh, Has it always been sort of a comfortable way for you to informally share? kind of share your stories.
1: Yeah. So uh, really my public speaking style began in undergrad school in college. And um, and, and from then, my, the first 20 years of my professional career was spent in vocational ministry. And uh, my my thought process behind every time I would get on a stage or behind a pulpit is that I never liked the term preacher that I was mm. a preacher because that made it feel like I was speaking to you instead of mm. speaking with you. And so mm. my my thought process was always that I wanted people to think that we were just sitting down in a coffee shop or sitting down in their living room and having a conversation even though it was a one-sided conversation mm. that they felt like they were a part of what was happening. that They weren't just simply being spoken at, but they were being spoken with. Um, And so then throughout 20 years of public speaking in the religious setting, and just working and developing on that, uh, I continued to really explore that Uh, that idea of how do I make it feel like my audience is engaged with me and not just simply an observer of what I'm doing. Uh, And then through the master's program at ETSU and continuing to try to grow uh, as a communicator, as a storyteller, um, when I transitioned out of the, the religious section into more, uh, corporate storytelling and performance storytelling. Um, I tried to maintain that same mindset is I don't want you to feel like you're just sitting observing with me talking to you. I wanted you to feel like you were part of this and almost engaged in a conversation with me, even though it was a very one-sided conversation.
0: I think that's super good. And, um, I think, Sometimes when people get up to speak, you've heard this, I've heard this, people get up and they kind of do their shtick or I don't know what the right term is exactly, but they, do, they just go through their program and you kind of feel like, wait a minute, it sounds exactly like what you do at every single event that you speak at. Like It doesn't feel like it's being told, told to me, but sort of some generic audience that you've, you've shaped. I even remember this one um, presenter... And I saw him several nights in a row Um, and he did the same bit where he like called out on someone in the audience and tried to make it seem informal, but he did the exact same thing. I mean, they didn't actually respond. He used the same name, you know what I mean? And you're just like, come on, you're just, this is, this isn't genuine at all. Yeah. Yeah made me think of um, when I was actually in college, there was this young lady that I really had been friends with for a while, and I was kind of hoping that our relationship could become a little more romantic. So I took her out for ice cream, and you're about to see how well that turned out. But uh, when we got out for ice cream, sat down, and I tried to impress her because I didn't know what else to do. So I was talking about myself, really. And so after like 20 minutes, she goes, Steve, can I tell you something? And I was like, sure, what's that? And I'm thinking, she just wants to ask me out on another date, right? And she goes, "Um, I feel more like your audience than your friend. (laughs) I know, right? And uh, we never did get married or anything. (laughs) It was our last date. But but what a great insight that I was basically performing my life story for Uh her when we should have been having a conversation you know, like what you just talked about.
1: Yeah. And I think that what, what the point that you just made about uh, the guy who did the same thing four nights in a row Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that you can have the same story that is four completely different stories based on the setting and the audience Um, that, that if it's just a manuscript that you're running through your head and out of your mouth and not adapting it to the setting, the climate and the audience, and I think that you're missing a great opportunity
0: to really connect on a deeper level with the listener. That's a good point. You know, delivery of a story is not just determined by the material and the and the storyteller, but also by the audience and the context. So it's like these four factors all affect the way that good communicators tell stories so that it feels like it is told to that audience and it's adapted if necessary. When you're telling a story, do you ever find yourself in the middle of the story, like kind of readjusting, adapting, saying this isn't working quite right, or I need to to add some humor here because of the audience's reaction? Almost every time. Hmm. Yeah, almost every time. I feel like that's true, and I've seen you tell sometimes the same story at different times, and i um I do notice that that um, that you're able to adapt on your feet and that responsiveness I feel like is one of the most important aspects of great storytellers. They come with preparation, like they know their material, whatever, but also are always able to adapt and respond to the setting and the and the listeners who are there, yeah, definitely. Uh, one
1: of the big things that that is is always at the forefront of my mind with storytelling, and and this came from really from my dad. That uh, my dad, myself, and another good friend of mine named Bruce Montgomery, we started a nonprofit consulting agency back in two thousand six, and uh, helping corporations, mostly other nonprofits, um, but we've branched out into for-profit organizations as well, but really helping them to discover what their corporate story is, mm. what the story of their organization is. And one of the big things that we do with that is we developed a personal, temperament and personality system that, you know, we're flooded right now with all sorts of of personality assessments from (laughs) Myers-Briggs to DISC. The Enneagram is the big one now. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm certified through Gallup for their StrengthsFinder as a StrengthsFinder coach. But so we kind of took components of of several of these and a lot of things that that we'd seen on our own over years and developed our own that we call TAPS. And it it breaks down into instead of 36 themes with StrengthsFinder or, Mm -hmm. you know, 13 different segments of the Enneagram, whatever that is, there are four colors Hmm. and your temperament, your personality can be broken down into four different colors. Um, And we have an assessment that you take for that. But, but so, so, so through lots of very technical psychology uh, that humanity, our personalities and our temperaments can be broken down into these four different categories. And so for me as a storyteller, it's important to know that each of these four different temperament types, each of these four different personality types, they have a different paradigm. Mm. Uh, They have a different lens through which they view the world and they have a different uh, lens through which uh, what their values are, what their motivations are, um, what their conflicts are and what what their definition of success for their life is based on their temperament and their personality. And so in telling a story, and, and it's, it's critical to know not only what's your predominant audience, and so you tweak the story hmm. to that, but also understanding that in most circumstances, you're going to have all four of those people there. And so making sure that there's some component in your story that connects with everyone involved, um, everyone that could be listening. So, talk us through
0: that a little bit. Maybe I—I I, I don't know if you can tell us if it's proprietary information. If you can tell us what your personality types are, but but at least how do you um, how do you tell a story actually that reaches people who have different types of personality that you know your audience is mixed in that way. So. Uh, our our four different personality types,
1: and, and as I said, we've broken them down into colors. So we have we have red, we have gold, we have green, and we have blue. Reds are driven by freedom and by fun. Their primary motivation is they don't want to feel um, strapped down. They're they're very free thinkers. Um, they are very spontaneous. Uh, they're motivated by freedom and they're motivated by um i guess an experience they want to mm. experience something uh blues are more of your feelers your mm. creative types they're they're motivated by compassion they're motivated by feeling by love um uh you've got golds that are your very disciplined um mm disciplined personality and so they're motivated by structure and they get very frustrated when things are not in structure <laughs> um, and then you have greens that are more they're detail oriented like golds but it's in a very different way so golds are are detail oriented in the fact that they need to have control of everything and make sure that everything is is in order <laughs> where greens <clears throat> are motivated by they they want to figure things out. They love to solve a problem. They mm-hmm. need a problem to solve and they want to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And so in looking at that within the overarching narrative of a story, um, you to reach those reds, there has to be some semblance of excitement, um, mm-hmm. something, some adventure that is taking place. Um, for blues, there needs to be some emotional feeling to it there needs to be a, a, an emotional connection um, to, to what is taking place um, and 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 for greens there has to be a problem to solve there has to be some some conflict or some problem that needs to be overcome and solved and then for golds there has to be a structure to it there has to be a a progress that can be seen within the story. And so if you look at, if you look at Hollywood or you look at TV um, my wife, when she takes our taps assessment, she is very, very blue. Um, So she's very emotional. She feels, um, and she loves romantic comedies. (laughs) Me, I test about as bright red as you could possibly be. (laughs) So I want something where things are being blown up. People are jumping out of airplanes. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and so she doesn't enjoy my movies as much. I don't enjoy her movies as much. But a great movie is one that can blend all of those mm. together. And so um, someone, you know, the writers, the directors have figured out a way to blend all of those to where everyone who watches it is going to leave feeling like that really met my mm. expectations and my needs going in.
0: Now, that's really interesting. And as a communicator, let's say that someone's listening, and um, they're a bit. Um, well, they're you know we have lots of different types of listeners. But let's say that someone's listening who's a business executive, saying, "Okay, I'm speaking to my my um, employees at the at the sales conference coming up, and I want to tell a story or something that'll motivate them to actually uh, you know feel connected with uh, with the with our community." Um, of what we're trying to do here at the company and also motivated to work hard this next year, something like that. How would they actually go about creating something that might fit the different personalities that they're going to be speaking to and also the different goals that they might have? Yeah, I
1: think it it, it follows the exact same principles is that understanding that your audience you're going to have people that you're reaching that each view everything like that. So even with something as simple as a sales presentation, mm. uh, a, a great example would be we've got the Super Bowl coming up oh, yeah. in in about two weeks for the companies that can afford the seven million dollars for a thirty-second <laughs> commercial spot, and then you'll have a few companies that that will will do multiple. Mm the companies who do it right, you'll see that their ads are meeting these various needs. And so, you know, with a with a beer commercial, you know, you'll see that the commercial will show some semblance of fun, that they're having a great time, but then they'll also come in and say, you know, and this has 30% less calories than <laughs> the other being light beer. Um, or a car commercial is a great example. Well, you, you can have four different commercials by Ford that are all for cars that are each targeting different mindsets. And so we'll mm. have one that shows the Mustang that they're flying down the road with the top down um, and going down the PCH. Um, and it's all about fun. And then you'll have the next one that's for a Ford minivan and it shows the mom who's taking her kids to soccer practice. <laughs> and so she's really connected. And then you'll have the next one that talks about the torque of the F 150 and how it has more towing capacity uh, than anyone else. And you'll have the next one that talks about the 0% fine for 72 months that they mm. have. And so they're specifically targeting each of these different mindsets, mm. each of these different temperaments and personalities to try to say we have to connect with them on their level. Mm. And so for the, the blue, who is, uh, they're going to connect very much with Oh, this car is going to provide a place for my family, for mm-hmm. me to get them the places they need to go, where they could care less about flying down the Pacific Coast mm-hmm. Highway with the top down in a Mustang because they're not motivated by that. Mm-hmm. They're not by that, and so it's it's understanding how do I get my message in a way that can that engages each of these personalities.
0: So I am working. Let's say that I'm working on a. St- story or presentation, I want to include a way to appeal to adventure, emotion, problem-solving, and... Responsibility. And what was the last one? Responsibility. Responsibility. Okay. So, yeah. So, thinking through whatever that I say, it has aspects of these elements in it that's going to help reach, you know, the... The different audience. That's really fascinating. I mean, I know you've spoken to me a little bit about it before, but I've never really probed in deeply into some of these questions regarding it. Now, I know that you do some consulting. Is there a place online where people could say, you know what, this is super interesting. Our company is, you know, looking for someone that we could consult with in this area. Where would they go actually to find out more information about this specific process? Uh, tonymar.com t-o-n-y-m-a-r-r.com and all the information is there if people if you um if you're interested you can check that out and uh, also there's information there about tony's um presentations and and storytelling and and his cds that he's done family family friendly uh stories for for people to listen to you and uh, you can also listen to those on spotify and so on so All right. So that's fascinating. Now I want to talk a little bit about story creation, because I know that you create um, a lot of your own material. Now I've heard you tell some stories that are literary stories or that other people have written, but most of your stories you create by yourself. Um, When you're writing a story, first of all, do you write it out first or do you kind of speak it into existence? Yeah. Um, I always start with
1: an idea. Um, and, and I have a file full of, you know, I guess, I guess you would say anecdotes, you know, just Mm -hmm. small little ideas that, that I hope to spark into a larger story. Um, and then from there, I I really go through everything that we just talked about. Hmm. Um, who, who are the, what is the adventure In this story, what is the what are the relationships in this story and how can how can I really dive into those relationships? What is the problem that needs to be solved in this story and what is the what is the what is the structure? What is the the thing that needs to be followed to happen to get us from point A to point B? Um, and then honestly, my process is I tell it a few times, Mm -hmm. um, just to no one, just, just orally talk it through to try to hear what's going to come out of my mouth, what thoughts are going to come through my mind. Um, I record it, I listen back to it Mm -hmm. and then I sit down and I manuscript it out Mm -hmm. to try to work on, you know, if there's any one liners, if there's any specific, specific hinges between this scene to the next that I need to be sure that, that every time I tell it, it's going to be a little bit different, but are there critical things that, that are important to make sure that the transition from one part to the other happen. And and, and for me, <clears throat> I need to map that out. Mm. Um, and so I put that out on paper to see how am I going from this part to the next part and
0: ultimately ending up where we want to end up. I had a guest on once named McNair Wilson, and he told me uh, something. He said, every time that I coach people, he had studied theater and does a lot of inspirational speaking and so on. He said, I still remember this. He said, anytime I coach people to practice their stories, I tell them oifel. I'm like, what is oifel? What are you even talking about? He's like, on your feet out loud. Now, he's like, if you can remember that, practice your material on your feet out loud. And I think he's onto something there. And it's something that you just um, you know, mentioned too. You go through it maybe by yourself, no one's listening, the dog is there, maybe that's it, but but you're on your feet, you're actually moving through the story, thinking about it, and then after you've sort of studied the terrain of the story, that's when you actually sit down and um, and kind of map it out. A little bit. There's a saying among storytellers that I think is attributed to Donald Davis, although I've tried to track it down and I don't know exactly who said this at first. But but the saying is, um, uh, let's see. My work is not the result of a script. A script is the result of my work. Hmm. Sounds like that's kind of true in your case. Yeah, that would I've
1: never heard that before, but but I would say exactly. Yeah, that's exactly
0: now, sometimes when people are telling stories, it's fun to have light moments within the stories. And I've heard you tell some stories that people laugh at uh, out loud, um, standing ovations. What, what are a couple of the maybe, I mean, you never claim to be a stand-up comedian. You're not trying to shoot out a joke every minute or so, but yet people do. They respond with um, emotion. Maybe they're crying or they're laughing, whatever. Um, what are some of the keys that you've come up with to help add a light touch to the stories to the stories that you actually tell?
1: One of the things that that I've kind of become known for um, is building and exaggerating the tension hmm. um, and and that can that can go a variety of different ways and and so I think most of my stories our personal stories that, that I've written myself. And so and they they're all based on some semblance of truth, um, something that has happened to me, something that I've experienced. And so in understanding what I was feeling in that moment, what I was thinking in that moment, for most of us we're in the middle when we're living through a life event, that is going to be something that has impacted us and changed us for the rest of our life. Hmm. Um, in our mind, the moment is probably bigger than we, than the reality of it is. And, and so when uh, the way that I've, I've tried to build and have the audience understand the tension that my teenage self or my six-year-old self or my 24-year-old self was feeling in that moment. And so Uh, one, one of my signature stories, um, that I get asked to tell a lot is, is a story called, I don't do dizzy. And it's, it's the story of a date that I went on in high school and and took a girl that I was, uh, completely head over heels enamored with, um, got her to finally agree to go on a first date with me and took her to a minor league baseball game Hmm. and, uh, the, the stadium that we went to probably had about 1500 people there for this triple-A minor league baseball game. Um, and I say that at the beginning, I took her to Cashman field and there are 1500 other people that chose to be there and celebrate this first date with us. Uh, but then through <laughs> a series of events, I get invited to go out onto the field and participate in a seventh inning stretch activity. Hmm. And so in my, there there are no more than the 1500 people that were originally there. But when we walked into the stadium and I'm excited to be on this first date and I look around and I have tons of elbow room because there's only 1500 people, uh, for a Tuesday night, minor league baseball game in Las Vegas, Nevada. And so we have all sorts of privacy. That's exciting to me. I'm going to get some time with her. Uh, But now I'm thrust out onto the field, into the spotlight. And all of a sudden these 1500 people are now 3000 eyes that are staring at me. Mm -hmm. And that, that vast openness of the stadium now seems to be closing in on me. Mm -hmm. And so the second time that I talk about it, it's, now there were 3,000 people in the stands and then I just exaggerated as the story goes on and by the time that it's done and I'm out on the field competing in the competition, there are 250,000 people that are all looking that's at So it felt like I bet while you were there doing it that's how it felt yeah. and at first in telling the story, the people the, the audience says, hold on, last time he said there were 1,500 people, now he said 3,000. And then the next time I say that 10,000 people stood up to cheer for me as I took the field. And then they said, hold on, 10,000. And then the next time, and as as the announcer said my name, 40,000 people erupted in applause. They're like, okay, now we get it. Now we get what's happening. And so then every time that as the moment grew bigger and bigger to me in my adolescent mind, the audience can see that even though they know there weren't a quarter of a million people in a minor league baseball stadium, that's what it felt like. And that was the magnitude of the moment to me. And it all was a ton of, ton of laughs and and response. And
0: yeah. That's interesting. You know, exaggerating the truth is um, I think one of the keys to to humor and um, and a couple of things that are that are present with that, I think one is that the audience needs to believe it's true. Now, in that case, it isn't that they believe that there are hundreds of thousands of people there, but that they believe that it's true that you felt that way, right. and so I think that's why they they smile and laugh and nod and so on. An exaggeration, I think, is is. Um, But it can be, you know, like I tell a story of my first grade teacher and I say she was 900 years old when I met her. Now everybody knows she's not 900 years old. But that exaggeration, they're like, they smile because they're like, okay, I can picture your first grade teacher. Um, So that exaggeration is, is sometimes really interesting. Have you ever used foreshadowing much? So, for instance, what I mean is where you show the audience That the character in your story is naive or maybe overconfident. So, like, um, whenever uh, you tell a story, you say, you know, the day that I got married, I knew I was in for a wonderful, you know, relationship with my wife as soon as I got done changing her opinion about leaving the toilet seat up. So all of a sudden the the audience is like, oh, this Joker is in for trouble. You know what I mean? They're just like shaking their heads like, oh, no, because you're showing that the audience is aware of something. The character isn't. Have you ever toyed with that sort of dynamic in your story? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um,
1: I have a story that I've told. It's one of my more recent stories um, about a day that went terribly wrong. And, and, and I started off in a very similar manner that that I say, you know, this day was shaping up to be the greatest day of our life. If we could just make it through, you know, the next six hours. (laughs) And, And so the audience immediately knows, okay, what's going to happen in this next six hours? You know, this is going to be something, something big, something catastrophic that's going to take place. And are they going to make it through? Um, one of the big things that you're talking about, uh, comedy, uh, mm-hmm. making people laugh for me, one of the best ways that I found to do that is self-deprecation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that for me, I never want to be the hero in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because I think that the audience they don't think that they're a hero a lot of times. Hmm. And and so if they can see that he's an idiot, just like I'm, an idiot, <laughs> um, then, then they really, then they can really emotionally connect with you as the teller. Um, it comes back to the very beginning thing of, of how can this not be me just speaking to you, but you, a part of this with me, hmm. And so if I try to paint myself as the hero who has all of the answers, I, I think there are a lot of people that say, well, I don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and, and I'm not a hero, so I can't identify with your story. Um, but if my story is about all of the ways that I continually mess up, um, mm-hmm. and all of the ways that that I make a, a fool of myself, um, sometimes if it's even only to myself, um, that people can see that and then having maybe they've never felt like they did anything heroic in their life but I'm pretty sure everyone's felt like they've done something idiotic <laughs> so that that self introspect introspective look at what's taking place then they can laugh at that and say oh yeah yeah I, I've been there. I've done that. I've experienced something like that. And, and it not only makes them relax, but it makes them laugh and it makes them feel like
0: they have some ownership in this story. You made me think of this one event I was at many years ago and a guy got up before me. Uh, and he, this is, this was the first sentence that he he said, he goes, I'm not trying to brag, but <laughs> <laughs> Anytime that you're tempted to say that, don't say that because no matter what, it's going to sound like you're bragging and nobody wants to sit there and listen to you brag about how great you are, all the accomplishments you've made, um, patting yourself on the back. Now, on the other hand, you're not the victim either. Um, like if you are up there like for therapy and all you do is complain about your ex-husband um and how bad he is and how he hurt you or whatever it is, it's like nobody wants that. That's something to tackle with your therapist or someone, but right. not your <laughs> not your audience, you know. So I've I've told people sometimes you want to be vulnerable but not fragile. Hmm. Like when you oh. tell stories, yeah. Uh, like so that. you're you're vulnerable in a sense that you're authentic, right? but you're not making the um, audience feel uncomfortable. (laughs) The fact that you're oversharing maybe or something like that.
1: Yeah. I think for me, I don't ever, I don't ever approach a story. A lot of my stories will have morals at the end, but Mm -mm. I'm not one of those guys that thinks that the end of the story has to be a big aha moment. Mm. Um, But I do want to show that, through the events that have taken place that I've become a better person. Um, and, and that's, that's one of my goals for, for each story that that I tell is that I want people to find their place in the story and get a better, deeper understanding of their place in the larger story of the world, um, through
0: through what I'm telling. Um, now when you tell your, uh, so, okay, so first of all, just what you just said, I think of stories, a lot of people say stories are always about a character arc or transformation. Um, so it sounds in your stories like you like to have a moment of change, growth, learning, something like that. So it's not just a series of events that occurred, people are like, okay, whatever. But then when we get done, we're like, oh, okay, you know, there's something in that that. That I can see that it affected, impacted him in some positive, hopefully positive way. It also made me think of, I was interviewing Kevin Kling as a storyteller from um, Minnesota. And uh, he said, if you have to tell us the moral, you haven't told us the story. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, you know, like if you get to the end and you're like, oh, by the way, here's what my story meant. And what I'm going to unpack it for you. A lot of times the audience is like sitting there like. We we get it like we already got figured that out on our own or they're like you're sort of insulting me or whatever. So it's pretty interesting advice. Yeah, definitely.
1: You shouldn't have to speak it. It should be. And it could be different to each listener. Yeah, you know, it could be a different, a different. I don't want to say moral or lesson, but but something different that they take away from it for each, each unique person and their unique circumstances through the lens that they're viewing the world. Hmm.
0: Now, I know you've spoken at um, a lot of different types of events, a lot of storytelling festivals and so on. So, without naming any names, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but what are some of the biggest mistakes you've actually seen uh, You know, from maybe different Performers, storytellers, speakers—where you're like, okay, that's something I can learn. That I want to avoid doing that. What, whatever it is that they just did. Do you have any um, things that you've noted over the years that have helped you kind of become a better storyteller by avoiding what maybe mishaps or mistakes that other people have made? Um, I would say
1: not understanding the audience or the mm. setting. Um, that you you have moments where with a lot of the festivals, you don't know what the audience is going to be. You Mm. don't know who that's going to be until you get there and it's 30 minutes before the show begins. Um, and maybe coming in, you had one expectation or idea of what this audience was going to look like. And so you had your entire set planned Mm. and you get there and it looks completely different. And Mm. so I've, I've been sitting waiting when, you know, we it's a two or three person ensemble for a for an hour and a half set of a show. And you've prepared stuff thinking that it was going to be adults and you get there and and the audience is full of kids. Hmm. The story that I was planning on telling. Isn't going to work in mm. this environment. Uh, but the person who goes before you gets up and tells a story that was either completely inappropriate for kids or just goes way over their heads. Yeah. They, they can't engage it at all. And so, not being prepared enough to say, "I need to pivot here mm. and, and do something different based on the audience that that is there." Um, I've had more times than I would like to to say where you've been in those situations that, that you're just like, that story would have worked great in a different environment, but Mm -hmm. that did not connect with the audience at all. And the person knows that. And I said, yeah, I just, I didn't have anything else ready. That's what I had prepared.
0: Yeah. So in that case, you don't really know, you know, if it's going to be 30 people or 300 people, if it's going to be a lot of kids or if it's going to be, you know, uh, older adults or whatever the audience might be, Um, a lot of us do know our audience. Let's say I'm a teacher and I'm listening to the podcast. I'm like, yeah, I actually teach, you know, high school, um, you know, history class. And um, I know my kids, my students pretty well. I want to tell them, you know, some stories from history to actually kind of hopefully get them interested in, in this topic and so on. So in that case, that's kind of covered. Um, now I look at a story from history, and I know you don't do historical stories so much, but I figured I would just throw this out there um, because I think the process might be the same, at least in some sense, to telling a literary story. But let's say I look up the information about this historical event, and I'm like, hey, this is really interesting to me. How do I make it interesting to the students? What are What are some of the things that you might do personally if you were in that situation Um, I think I'm trying to think I think I've actually heard you tell stories like monologues, wherever you actually enter the story and then tell it as if you were one of the characters within it. Uh, I can't remember for sure, but I feel like at one of the retreats we did together, you did that. Um, What are your thoughts about telling stories in that way, um, developing them?
1: Yeah, again, it comes back to those four. Those four different lenses, the, to, of which to view the world and view the story. Um, I do, I do quite a bit of biblical storytelling, and and so I'll take, you know, a small passage that maybe there's only two or three lines of a passage, and then how do you take something that you can read in fifteen seconds? and do a 45 minute story out of it. And it's really exploring those, those things that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so one that I did, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, about two weeks ago, was, uh, there, there's a story in predominantly in the gospel of Mark, where, um, a father has a, a son who, um, the way that, that Mark describes it is possessed by a demon. Um, mm-hmm. and he's, he's a little boy that, um, can't go to school, can't play with his friends because, um, in our modern day terms, we would probably say he had epilepsy hmm. uh, that he kept going into seizures and he comes, he's tried everything that he can. This father has, he spent every last dime that he can, uh, to try to help his boy. Hmm. And, uh, and he can't. And so uh, in a last ditch effort, he hears about this Jewish rabbi who's doing incredible things named Jesus and he goes to find him and Jesus isn't there, uh, but he finds some of Jesus' disciples there. And so they try, they can't do anything with the boy. bunch of the religious leaders come in, they start arguing. Um, Jesus comes back, finds this argument taking place and says, bring the boy to me. And uh, the father comes and brings his son. And there's this cool moment there. Hmm. It's very, very short hmm. in scripture, but there is so much in there. So, hmm. so I really try to dive into what are the emotions of the father Um, Oh, yeah. What would he have done that connects on that blue level? Then I then I really try to get into everything. Let's let's break there for a second, because with with those colors and those personalities, those different temperaments. They have a lot of the same values. They just view the values differently. So Hmm. if you were to, one of the exercises that we do after we have had everybody take our assessment, then we divide them into the groups based on their colors. And then we give them a big sheet of butcher paper and we say, write all of the things, your core values down. Every single one of those four colors is going to put family as a value, right? We're all going to say that family is a core value, but the way that that manifests itself is completely different. So for for a blue, the the caring emotional type, when they say family is a core value, it's all about love. It's all about making the family feel valued and and loved and cared for um, and meeting their emotional needs. For a gold, they're going to put family on there as well, but they're not so much driven by the emotion of it. They're driven of that they feel the responsibility for their family, mm. uh, that I have to provide and care and and you know meet the needs of my kids and my wife or my husband or who or my elderly parents or however that I have a responsibility to them, and so in that story. I tried to show the love that this father has for his son to meet with that. But then I also showed, he sold everything that he had mm. traveled to go to every doctor that he could find every quack, witch doctor, every sir, every, everyone that he could to show that there was also a responsibility factor that he had for his son here um, that he traveled all over. And so you really try to still, how do I connect with each of those mm. different people, different lenses of people to. To have everyone find something, find their place in this story.
0: I grew up not loving history. Because <laughs> my actually my teachers, professors in high school, college and so on just made it seem to make it as boring as possible. All it was for me was memorizing dates, names, deaths. I didn't under, I didn't love it. Then years after I graduated I went to the East Coast. I think it was yeah it was uh well the Atlantic Coast, right? And I can't remember which city I was in, but I found this book um about the it was called the United States Life-Saving Service. Eventually it became the Coast Guard eventually. But before that they would basically uh, work on the coasts, and if there was a shipwreck, they would basically go out in the storm and try to rescue as many people as possible from the ship and come back. And just these amazing exploits of these super courageous heroes who would risk their lives, and their their whole motto was, you must go out. You, what was it like? I think it was like, um, you must go out even if you don't come back, or something like that I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like these guys were legit. So I suddenly became interested in sea lore and you know, shipwrecks and stories revolving all around these, these amazing um, adventurers. And but, uh, but had you know, my teachers maybe told me some of these stories whenever I was growing up, I probably would have been much more interested in history at the time, I'll probably have done this pretty crazy. Like these guys were amazing. Um, and, uh, and so I think it, it stories are powerful. They can really, you know, affect us deeply and, and affect what we love and where we go and who we marry and all of these things. Stories are powerful.
1: Yeah. I'm doing the exact same thing with my son right now that, hmm. uh, he's in eighth grade and taking American history right now. And he, he can't stand it. It bores him to death. And so it's the same thing that, that he'll, I'll say, okay, let's go over what you're doing. he read a little paragraph about Paul Revere. And I'm like, no, do you see the adventure that's taking mm. place here? and open up your mind a little bit? See, see the story behind the three words that you're seeing there. Mm. And there's, it, it will bring it to life for you and, and get it out of the textbook and into and into a, a story that combines the various components that excite you in the video game that you play or the, hmm. the Star Wars show that you're watching it and see that that was taking place. And, and he still has a little bit of a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, I'm not a storyteller like you. He says that all the time. And oh, uh, funny. Um, I'm like, no, but you can be, you, you just got to see the story behind the words.
0: Hmm. And, um, yeah. Well, that's good. So before we close up here in the next couple of moments, I wanted to ask if you had any, you know, closing words of advice for teachers or educators, maybe for business leaders, anyone telling stories that they want to motivate people without clobbering over, over the head, you know, with this is maybe what you're supposed to do, but motivate them to kind of understand uh maybe their values, their virtues, a little bit better. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Just that, that I would say that you're not the hero of your story, Hmm. um, but you have a great role to play in it. Hmm. Um, And, and so that's, that's the biggest thing. And And it seems for people that are involved in, in the storytelling world, it seems pretty obvious, but The first thing that I ask when I'm doing a corporate consultation is when we're looking at telling your corporate story, who's the hero of your story? Hmm. And almost always they say, well, our our company is like, no, you're not. You're not the hero of your story. Uh, Your client is the hero Hmm. of your story. And so don't make yourself out to be the hero of the story. Um, They're the hero and you're just there to guide them on their Hmm. journey. Uh, and get them to where they need to be. And, and so kind of what you, you were saying earlier about telling your girlfriend all about yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, that didn't turn out super well, but uh, but at least it taught me uh, a, an important lesson, you know, so that's a good thing. Take yeah. something away from that.
1: But I think in in teaching and business and anything, it's it's the person that you're trying to connect with finding their story, hearing their story. And then how does the story that you're wanting to tell, how do they find themselves in that story? Um,
0: that's great. You know, I love it. Um, finding yourself within the stories that you hear looking for stories that you can tell where people can find themselves in the story as well. Um, Bob Lenz was a, is a motivational speaker. I actually had him on the show once and he said, you can lose yourself or find yourself in a story. I always liked that. like that. You can lose yourself in a story, not necessarily in a bad way, but lose yourself because you're interested, yeah, yeah. but maybe find yourself in the story as well. So, Well, uh, Tony, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show again today. Thanks. It was a blast. Yeah, and so uh, we can connect online to Tony at TonyMarr.com. Now, are there any other social media venues that, that you're real active with that you would encourage people to check out?
1: Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook. I'm not really very active on Twitter or Instagram or Tick, tack, tick, tock, any of those, but, <laughs> but I am on. I am on Facebook. I do have a YouTube channel, and then uh, you can find if you just want to go listen to some stories that that will maybe be a break from your day. As you said mm-hmm. earlier, you can find that on Spotify, on Apple Music, um,
0: Amazon Music. You can find it all there. That's great, and so uh, we can listen to some of your um, your stories there, and just search for your na- name, Tony Mar. Mar has two two R's in it. We want our listeners to check it out, um, to check those out. And also, you know, especially maybe contact you about speaking at an event that they might be planning in the future or consulting with you for their corporation. Um, so also thanks to our listeners, to all of you who have tuned in. We, I really appreciate um, the feedback that I get from you when I hear from you. So feel free to email me anytime and through our website at thestoryblender.com you can check out you can check that out for more on our other interviews that we've done you can also search for us on apple podcasts spotify amazon music or wherever you listen to your podcasts don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on friday evenings and in closing as i like to say tell your stories well my friends and always remember the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.